Unfiltered, DBE Diverse Business Elite Magazine's premier podcast. We bring you the voices of today's renowned societal leaders and community stakeholders who contribute to making a difference talking about what they do, how they got there, and what they're thinking about in this sometimes controversial world of diversity, inclusion, and race relations. In this episode, you know, there are some challenges when you're the only in the room, right? When you're the only woman, only, you know, Asian American, only person who hasn't been at the organization for decades, you know, it can really be hard to voice concerns or, you know, to voice um, objections in a difficult situation and really be heard. DBE Magazine speaks with Elaine Ho, the Deputy Associate Administrator for the STEM Engagement Program at NASA Headquarters. She spoke about the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion to NASA's overall mission of innovation and space travel. Tell us a bit about why you chose to work in STEM at NASA. Yeah, so, you know, I think kind of, you know, generally my interest in STEM started off as a kid um, and uh you know, my journey to NASA is a bit of a longer story, but the, the short version is that, um, you know, prior to coming to NASA, I was the chief of staff of this office within the White House called the United States Digital Service. And there we were responsible for bringing in kind of the best tech talent around the country to help fix um, broken, you know, federal government systems that interface with the public. And I saw the first-hand challenges of trying to recruit diverse tech talent and recognizing that if we're going to do that effectively, we can't just turn to the companies and do that. But really, if we're going to see that diversity, um, that we need to start engaging students much earlier. And, and when I say earlier, you know, in elementary school. So um, when I had the opportunity to join NASA's Office of STEM Engagement, whose mission is to do exactly that, uh, I really just jumped at the chance. <laughs> And and how is this work environment different, if at all, from your experiences in the White House Department of Agriculture and IRS, specifically when it comes to the diversity requirement? Yeah, I wasn't exactly sure when I, I'm looking at, you know, um, when you mean by diversity requirements. But what I'd say is that, you know, when I worked at, you know, uh, Department of Agriculture, IRS, and, and digital services, um, you know, my primary focus was internal to the organization, looking at the workforce. And so here at NASA, my focus is really external to the agency, external to NASA, because we're focused on students, you know, students across the country, mm -hmm. students in, who are traditionally underserved and in, in underserved communities, those underrepresented in STEM. And so we're focused on creating opportunities to inspire these students, this next generation of explorers and innovators, and, and, not, and not just for NASA, it's for NASA and the broader STEM community. So, so the next question would be to, for you to tell us a bit about your work as Senior Policy Advisor for the first, former First Lady Michelle Obama's office, Let's Let 
Girls Learn Initiative. Yeah, it was it was an amazing. Um, it, it remains to be one of the amazing uh, highlights of my career. So the initiative focused on creating access and opportunities for adolescent girls, particularly those in developing countries, to enter and remain in school to get an education. And the idea was that, you know, and focusing specifically on adolescent girls, because when adolescent girls have the opportunity to be educated, there's this ripple effect. So from an individual standpoint, they're empowered, but then they go on to have healthy children, healthy families. They're able to, you know, uh, get a job and contribute to the economy, which is contributes to the overall stability of a country. And, and so the, the amazing power of having an adolescent girl educated really just starts from there. And so my job there was to provide um, leadership and coordination to all of the different federal agencies who were doing this kind of work, so the State Department, Peace Corps, USAID, and, and many others, so that they could work kind of strategically and coordinated in a way that the that the former First Lady could, could really lift up and, and champion. Um, I could certainly tell you kind of amazing events and the opportunity to ride in Air Force One and in her motorcade and, and other just amazing <laughs> Amazing things that we did, um, but and it was such a rewarding effort. At the same time, very you know intense. There, there was a really little room for error when you're working at that level um, with that much visibility. So you know, simultaneously, I think one of the most challenging and you know exciting and incredible times in my career. And within that context, what advice would you give to women and girls looking to get involved in STEM? Yeah, you know, I, I saw that question. You know, unfortunately, even though we've made lots of strides and progress, we are still facing cultures and, and places that, when it comes to STEM, may exclude women, um, may have persistent stereotypes about women, um, and and that just that ends up reinforcing this wider gender gap that we're seeing in STEM. I mean, even today, as we look at it from a student perspective, we've got teachers and maybe even parents who understand, underestimate girls' ability in STEM. And so, you know, w- with that, what I would say in terms of advice is from, from an individual perspective is, you know, one, um, knowing that you belong in STEM. That's actually a campaign that the Department of Education has just launched, you know, recently, that you belong in STEM. And I would say that, particularly to girls, because you may be the only girl in your computer science class or your engineering class, or you may be the only woman in your research office, but you need to know that you belong there and that STEM fields absolutely need you, need your perspective, and absolutely need your talent. I, I think a part of that also in that is, you know, that you belong is to, to believe in yourself and to, and to be able to persevere. You know, we, we talk about, you know, just believing in yourself, but, um, you know, STEM is hard. It, it is hard. It is challenging, um, but it's certainly not impossible. And so, you know, finding support with other peers, teachers, mentors, um, helps that belief in yourself and helps you develop that, that perseverance and, and resilience. Then the last thing I'll say kind of along those lines, I think, is um, finding role models. You know, there are more and more women in STEM, past and present, who just made incredible contributions, you know, to humanity through STEM. You know, here at here at NASA headquarters, we have named our building after Mary Jackson, right, the first black female engineer to work at NASA. Uh, we have incredible, you know, role models. And when you can see it, 
then you can actually become it, you know, and, and it's actually why I started a, a girls group for my daughter of, of just that, you know, every month we get together, we put together, we put forth a, a female role model so that they know that these women persevered and made it and, and you can become that too. Okay, good. And, and what are two of the biggest challenges facing tech leaders and innovators today and how do you propose they address those? I think, you know, the way I would answer that question, you know, I think what I would say is I would highlight that those challenges, um, I think, at a core have to do with the people because when it comes down to it, people are the backbone to technologies and innovations and having strong leadership of people is really important. So one challenge, I think, for leaders is how do you create that culture of innovation, right? Innovation is going to be while we, you know, we celebrate innovation, innovation is also wrapped with risk. It's wrapped with uncertainty, and, you know, certainly there's the potential for a lot of failure. And so um, leaders have a really tough job reframing that, you know, dread of, of failure to actually, that's just an opportunity to learn. You know, I think I think it was Thomas Edison had said something like, you know, I haven't failed. I just found 10,000 ways that won't work, right? And and to me, this <laughs> is actually where, where diversity and equity and inclusion come in. You know, I think for a leader – DEI, you know, the competencies around DEI can really be a tool for leaders who can come in and create diverse teams with that, you know, with those different backgrounds. They can, leaders can provide that diverse team with that psychological safety so that they can be in an environment where those individual voices get heard and taking risks is, is even rewarded, you know, and, and you don't get your hands slapped for that, uh, which is really hard, easier said than done. I would say the other the other major challenge I think in emerging technology is is a little bit more tactical, and I would say it's a workforce issue. It's something that I've worked on um, at when I was at the National Space Council and Office of Vice President, and something that I'm continuing to work on here as I return to NASA. But the challenge is is that the growing demand for manufacturing jobs. You know, we actually don't think of the manufacturing as STEM jobs, but they really are. I mean, with the advent of new and emerging technologies, there's this increased need for workers with STEM skills to operate complex machineries and mechatronics or to conduct, you know, research and development. And that's certainly the case with the space industry, you know, whether it's welders or machinists or fabricators, you know, the space industry needs that. And they they would tell me, you know, Elaine, when you think of a welder, you think of a face mask and sparks flying and maybe, you know, being in this, you know, garage of some sort. When when actually today, and again, for, for NASA and its partners, welding means uh, in, a, in a clean room with a clean suit on and, and you're welding underneath a microscope. <laughs> so it's, and, it, and these jobs, which makes them so, you know, it's not only an exciting mission, but they're well-paying and you don't need a college degree. You can go right out of high school into whether it's a community college program, apprenticeships, these you know, certificate programs. And so we need to do a better job in getting the word out about these opportunities and, you know, to parents, to students, to employers, and, and getting industry and these community colleges and other training programs to work together. Um, I think there's lots of individual efforts going on, but uh, I'm a big believer in the power of collaboration. And so how can, how can we come together and expand these pathways to employment? And, and, and really, you know, again, as we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, if we're going to really fill this skills gap, Together, we need to really reach those students um, from all backgrounds uh, and and those who've traditionally been overlooked in, in STEM. I mean, it's really going to need to be all hands on deck. 
you spent a lot of your life dedicated to diversity. So as a woman in STEM, have you faced any gender-based challenges? If so, how did you overcome them? Yeah, you know, I, I, I saw this question. I had to do some thinking about it. I think one challenge in particular was certainly um, this concept of imposter syndrome. You know, I think after mm-hmm. I moved away from, I had I had done this work around diversity and inclusion, and I, I served in these roles as, as chief diversity officer. But you know, after that, I kept getting these amazing opportunities. You know, one after the other, but they were outside my area of expertise. You know, they were outside my comfort zone, and. You know, every time I landed in there, I felt like I wasn't good enough to be there, you know, classic imposter syndrome. And so, you know, in terms of overcoming the one, the big part was recognizing that was really coming from me. It really wasn't coming necessarily from other people. I was maybe interpreting what folks said or did through that lens. But one part was changing the narrative of, of my own inner voice. You know, it was the idea that even though I didn't, I wasn't an expert in a particular subject area, I was there to bring other skill sets to the table. You know, I had I was bringing extensive leadership experience, you know, way back in the days of, of when I was an active duty Air Force officer. Um, I brought the ability to build coalitions and to, to drive results. I was actually just on a phone call just, just the other, just earlier this morning. It's like, yes, Elaine, we know you like to have outcomes. We're going to get to outcomes. So that's really where I focus. And, and I do this all through the lens of, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. And so I have to say I um, really employed the help of an executive coach, one that's been with me for a number of years. And I learned to kind of quiet that inner voice and change that inner voice that 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 questioned my ability to do a job, and instead, you know, telling myself that, you know, I'm going to feel uncomfortable at first, but I just need to trust myself and rise to the occasion. And um, in fact, I just said that to my team the other day. I said, uh, I said, look, I can't do what you do, but I, I bring other skill sets to the table, and we're going to get the job done. So that approach has worked so far. <laughs> and and are there any major lessons on your path thus far that you'd like to share? Yeah, you know, I um, I think one major lesson that uh, you know I I think I've picked up along the way is is how to address conflict or, or difficult situations. I think a lot of times people uh, sidestep them because that's you know it's easier to do that. But you know there are some challenges when you're the only in the room, right? When you're the only woman, only you know Asian American, only person who hasn't been at the organization for decades, you know. It can really be hard to voice concerns or, you know, to voice um, objections in a difficult situation and really be heard. So, you know, I, I definitely saw that and, and felt that and experienced that. Um, but over time, you know, one thing I learned was how to pick and choose my battles. I didn't have to chase down, you know, all the injustices of the world that I felt. You know, and I really learned to find my voice in those difficult situations, and um, and I, I learned to take a minute to. In dealing, again, it goes back to people, right? We're, we're all humans and, and taking a minute to connect and find some empathy so that when I did engage, you know, we would, we would have those breakthroughs and, and be heard. So, um, that's something that's been, a, and that's an ongoing lesson. That's an ongoing, uh, journey, if you will, but it's something that I've certainly picked up along the way. Okay. And the penultimate question, what are your plans for the future? I always get this question. I always get it's or a variation of this question, you know, what are you going to do in five years or ten years? And and what I always say now is that if you look at, you know, my career, my life path, it is full of zigs and zags, and I have not been able to predict the future or have any plans that actually have come to fruition. Um, 
So really where I, you know, I just continue to um, look ahead and, you know, you know, seize opportunities that might be coming in front of me. But uh, I, I don't – I actually have stopped making plans. <laughs> so, and, and really been able to, to focus on the present but also uh, seize the opportunity when it comes up. Do you have a favorite quote or mantra that guides you? Yeah, yeah. There's um, one that I often share when I talk about my career journey is the one from Maya Angelou where, you know, she says, I learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So um, there, for all the accomplishments and things that we all strive for, um, those people relationships are really important. So I love that quote from Maya Angelou. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can talk about making a difference, you can take action to make a difference, or you can join DVE in doing both. Until next time, stay blessed and be inspired. DBE Magazine Where excellence and exceptionally DBE Diverse Business We're all different But we can learn from each other Yeah, from each other in DBE